Hello, and welcome to the SMTC podcast. I'm Courtney Makara, and I'm joined by Grant Gregorian. SMTC is the Society of Marketing Technology Consultants, which is a community created to educate and support anyone involved in the MarTech world as a consultant. In this podcast, we explore all that it means to be a great consultant from setting up your business or joining an agency to how to find new clients or keep your existing clients happy. If you're thinking about going into consulting or you're already a successful consultant, please join us by going to joinsmtc.com and become a member. It's free. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know what's on your mind because we're going to tell you what's on ours. Joining Grant and I for today's episodes are actually two guests. We have the co-founders of CS2 Marketing with us today. Hello, welcome, and we want to go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hey there. Hello. Yeah, so um, we're Chrissy and Charlie Saunders, and we're the co-founders of CS2 Marketing, as Courtney mentioned. Um, We run a bespoke uh, marketing technology agency based out of Bay Area. We've been running for about five and a half years now um, and have quickly grown into helping a lot of the different tech companies area and beyond. So supporting um, specifically marketing ops professionals, but also um, the people that kind of manage those teams. So CMOs um, or heads of marketing. And um, you know, when we're not on this podcast, we're actually running our own podcast Mm -hmm. um, called Forward Thinking. And so for anyone who's interested in diving deep into the best practices in marketing ops and and really how to elevate your marketing ops function, which is um, our goal and spreading the word. Uh, So not just being a, you know, marketing automation admin, but really a leader of a um, department that really is strategic. Um, then you can check that out. Um, we're on kind of your favorite podcast platform, or you can check out our website, cstmarketing.com. But anyway, enough about that. Um, <laughs> we can probably dive right into it. Um, yeah, and before we get in, I just want to say what you guys are doing here is awesome. We kind of chatted before we started, and this is kind of a, an interesting career path to take, like to be a consultant in marketing ops. And like you mentioned, a lot of people ask about it, but then there's just not a ton of, really good resources out there. So I love what you guys are doing. Well, thank you. We're so glad to share the information and share the wealth. And the fact that you guys have been doing this for over five years is really a testament to that you can be successful. When you started, did you did you have a five-year plan? Did you <laughs> get growing? Or was it like, hey, I'll just do some moonlighting, you know, every once in a while? Yeah, I don't think we had a, a five-year plan. We didn't do any moonlighting. Mm-mm. I think that was pretty much we decided impossible, just given our day jobs and how mm-hmm. much it took out of us and required of us. Yeah, um, we got yeah. the bandaid and went one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. We were both working in house at tech companies. I was in the UK, and Chrissy was out here in the Bay Area. Um, you know, both you know enjoying it, but a little bit burnt out from the from the in house experience and kind of thinking about the next step. And then we had. Me, obviously, as well, like looking to move out to the U.S. to be out here with Chrissy. And um, it just felt like a time when we were evaluating kind of the the big next move from from a lot of angles. And we're we're sat in England just discussing options and kind of this option came up. Um, So we started talking about it. And I think it was a pretty simple start. Chrissy just meant, uh, emailed some people, LinkedIn some people in in your network, right? Yeah, I did some cold prospecting yeah <laughs> no, it wasn't cold, warm, cold, warm, warm prospecting. Warm. reached out to um some 
of my kind of friendly people in my network um, that I knew would give me, you know, that I could maybe have a relationship with from a, um, a consulting aspect because they knew my work mm-hmm. or that they could suggest me out to people that, and they could vouch for our work, um, really. And I think your response rate was like 80%, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was pretty good. It was awesome. Mm. From day one, we had, I think, about five potential clients to even start with, um, which is, I think unheard of and pretty, pretty hard to do, but I think I just actually tapped into a place where, and I think the, the independent consultant, I think for marketing technology, like kind of landscape wasn't as much as it is now. I think people have took more an entrepreneurial approach to their careers and with remote working and everything. And I think back then that, that wasn't really like fully kicked off yet. So we were just catching that wave Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was great, um, to kind of dive into and, and, and help support companies that we, and clients that we really cared about and already knew that we worked really well with. Um, so that was an added benefit as well. Now, were these, were these companies that where you've worked before, these were some like personal friends of yours. And then when you are asking them, this is kind of like, how to make a agency 101 like when you're asking them are you saying what exactly are you so i mean you're asking for like potential work or like people that they know like what is the ask look like yeah can you tell i think in the beginning it was just exploring the option right i think you just Mm -hmm. messaged them saying i'm thinking about doing this like are are you interested do you know anyone that would be interested and then Mm -hmm. based on the yeah. really great response that you got back it gave you the confidence to do it totally i think that was like exactly the case um and my wording you know i was just letting them know you know hey i'm i'm thinking about doing this this is what i'm you know interested in consulting on and they were people i uh, you know i worked with or even both charlie and i both worked with before um since we both worked with each other and i think mm-hmm. that helped too um uh, but yeah, they, they knew our work and then could easily vouch for it. Cause for some of those people I reached out to, um, we didn't end up helping their company at the time. Cause a lot of them moved on to new companies, which is benefit and is helpful in our space. Like that's how we get return clients. If that's, <laughs> that's another question, um, coming up, but the, um, they could also suggest me to other people and, and, and some of those ended up being great relationships that I still have today. So or we both do. Yeah, we've actually got a couple of those clients still. Yeah. Yeah, so some yeah. of our clients that we've signed from day one are actually still our clients. So have been Holy cow. Clients. That's so cool. Five yeah. and a half years, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And when you did that, so you, because sometimes people don't know what they want to do or it's sort of consulting is in demand out there, you know, so it sounds like you were like, I'm going to do this sort of thing. Do you know anyone who needs it rather than doing the other thing, which is I'm thinking about consulting. Uh, what sort of consulting do you think would be? Mm. Like it was a, it was kind of a fully formed idea of like, Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. Mops consulting who needs right. it. Right. Yeah. I think as well, you had, you knew a couple of people mm-hmm. that were already, doing it Mm -hmm. so you knew the you knew kind of the simple business model of you know hourly rate you know this is about what people charge for this um and i remember actually when we were talking about it we went through like here this is this this is our salaries now how many 
the hourly rate that we think that we could get based on speaking to other people and knowing kind of what the market rate was, you know, divide our salary by that. How many hours do we need to actually do to just break even on what our salary was? Yeah. And then we realized that there's a lot of upside here because when you actually take a consulting salary rate, um, it really adds up quick to, to get towards an actual just salary. Yeah. Um, so then the pipeline of work to do it and right. the consistency. And I think we, we said, well, you know, we can always fall back on, mm-hmm. we always have another route that we can go. We can always fall back and go in house. And just knowing that, especially since we worked in house, you know, we didn't come up the ranks in an agency. So all we knew was agency. It's like, we did the opposite. We came up the ranks working in house. And we both had dual roles. We both have supported, like worked in demand gen as well as marketing ops. Um, and so we knew, okay, well, whatever happens here, we'll, we'll just go and find another right. job in each in any of those departments at another company. Mm. So, so we we we're always thinking about you know the risk, but um, taking the risk and 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 knowing what our other options are. Yeah, I think it was the timing as well more than anything, yeah. right? You feeling like you wanted a, a new thing, me moving to America, it felt like just a good time to just completely just course correct and try something new. Totally. And we knew we liked working with each other, which is a benefit. <laughs> it's very rare that like, you know. Yeah, because we actually worked for the same company yeah, a few so months prior, well, about a year prior to that. Oh my yeah, gosh. and that's how we kind of met. We always <laughs> joked we fell in love over to Marketo. Because we worked like these really long projects together and we just like, uh, just really enjoyed it. And so I think that was a testament. That's to incredible. You. you were like, we want more. We, we're going to go start, start a company together and work on stuff together. And then when work is over, have dinner together and hang out together. Yep. Oh, yeah. my gosh. I mean, were you not scared? Like, maybe this is too much. Maybe there is a risk, not on the professional front, but this relationship. Holy cow. Yeah. I don't remember being scared. No. But we, the interesting thing is, too, we didn't even have anything to compare it to. We, you have... So one of the things is we always had a long distance relationship. So he was in the UK and I was in the US and we even had a long distance first year of marriage. So even Charlie moving out to like, uh, for us to do this was his first for us even living together full time rather than these like months at a time when we saw each other. Yeah. And it wasn't like we met long distance. We met over here and I would spend months at a time out here. So then we... I just wasn't a resident yet. Um, <laughs> but it was like, yeah, I think people are getting that taste now in COVID. Like people are like, how do you work with your spouse? And I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. you're kind of doing it now. You're just not having meetings with them. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. So it's, it's a little bit like that. And then we've always divided the clients 50-50. Um, you know, one of us being the lead consultant 50-50. And we, we collaborate on things together, of course, but there is that separation where there's, you know, stuff that Chris is doing for some clients that I don't know about and vice versa. So you kind of like come together at some points and go away. Obviously there's kind of the overarching business management side that we talk about a lot, but the client work, we do divide it out pretty good. Yeah. And, and at some point you guys decided that um, this is an agency or was that the plan from the beginning? And what was that first employee like? Cause I can imagine if I was a first employee of a power couple like this, I'd be like, Oh man, what am I walking <laughs> into here? Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of all been all over the place really. When we first started, I don't think we thought about hiring at all. It was like, let's just go do this ourselves. And we did that for, I think, 
probably didn't hire anyone for at least a year, a year or so, right? Yeah, a year and a half, I think. Um, And then we were just so busy, we started trying to work, like kind of get other contractors. And we've gone through kind of like different cycles. Like at the beginning, we got other contractors and we kind of diversified a bit. Like we had a web developer and a designer. We kind of ended up spreading ourselves kind of a bit out of MOPS, which for us, I think we had to learn that that, wasn't what we wanted to do we wanted to just focus on marketing operations um and be not go into we don't want to be a web development agency we don't want to be a design agency so we kind of grew a little bit then and then we shrunk back down um our first proper hire was christy and i think um you know i think we all just took a bit of a leap of faith right like she's coming to work just for a husband and wife team um we hadn't met it was just remote interviews um she was based in washington and um i think it all just felt right when we were interviewing and um you know she still works for us now she's been with us coming up for four years now well yeah three or four years now um so yeah yeah i don't think we had grand ambitions at the beginning to to grow but now we're seven people and we still don't have grand ambitions to grow to like a big you know, lead MD type agency or anything. We, we want to be small and mighty still. Um, yeah, and I think that, that what Charlie uh, mentioned around we had hired people who did development and, you know, creative and all this stuff. And I think part of that was our clients that asked for right. it. And we thought, oh, okay, there's an opportunity here. But I think that's an important lesson for people. Is mm-hmm. Just because people are asking for it doesn't mean you should do it. Like you should... And because it causes a lot of like stress when you're not an expert in that thing and you're that main point of contact. So it's like trying to troubleshoot something that you have no idea to do. You're very reliant on that other resource. And so we even get the pressure a lot, you know, why can't your agency do this? Why can't I do that? And, and there's something, if, if it was a Salesforce development, then yes, that's fine. Or if it's really in line with MarTech, but once it goes beyond that, we find that it's better for them to just go and find those expert agencies instead. And I think if that it takes confidence to do that, to say no, and, and to really know what you're good at and know what you want to focus on for mm-hmm. your business. And so it just took us that time like to figure out one, the confidence and also go through that, um, that challenge of, okay, figuring out this is not right for us. Let's not do that anymore. Yeah. So I think at that time you're just grabbing any opportunity, right? At right. the beginning. And then I think you mature a bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you yeah. mature a bit and you realize, okay, what do we want to focus on? What do we want, what do we want to be known for? Um, and that, that's just our personal preference, right? Of course, there's other agencies out there that offer, dozens of different services and that's great too but for us we found we we like to have you know control over a lot of things that are happening in our agency so we can quality check everything and make sure that we're still a part of it um still with having a team of course so we can scale a little bit but you know i think it's it's actually thinking about what is the important thing is actually thinking about like what do you really want like do you want to have lots of people working for you that are doing all of this kind of disparate work or, or do you want to focus? And um, I think you have to kind of try things to figure out what you really want and what works. 
I have a question about the kind of current state of the agency, and you've got seven people on yourselves, and really about writing out SOWs and proposals. Mm -hmm. Do you have like dedicated sales people that are, mm -hmm. you know, have a pipeline and opportunities? Is everyone writing their own? <laughs> and then, you know, following up to that, how do you keep your clients to stay within the scope of those proposals? Yeah, so we don't have, we're, me and Chrissy are, everything right now which we're trying to work on <laughs> so we're hr we do use a platform called trinet um i would very much recommend like if you are looking if you are looking to grow a little bit as a consultant and employ some people it makes things a lot easier around benefits and payroll but um we're finance accounting we do have an accountant but we still have to do a lot of work there we're sales, so we're, we're on the, you know, the initial discovery calls with clients and you know, every, every other, yeah, writing the SAWs and, and everything. So in terms of our business, we don't, we do projects, but I would say it's like less than 5% of what we do, right? Yeah. And most of what we do is on a, like a retainer base or fixed cost base in terms of, you know, this is how much you need from us in terms of time every month. Um, and then you know, we'll guarantee you have that time for X amount of months. And there might be some discounts involved if they go, you know, the, the more hours they have and then the longer agreement they have. Um, but it's generally an ongoing in agreement where we just give you all of our expertise, our strategy and our execution for that price each month. Um, and that's the way that we like it. I think... A lot of people would say that project work, you can probably be a little bit more profitable. Um, and it kind of depends, I think, around how you scope, like you, like you mentioned, Courtney, and if you're able to scope well, really understand how long something is going to take and then price it properly. We've always found that, you know, you're in marketing operations, things are just so damn complicated that, and instances are just so, Mm -hmm. so different and can be such a mess before and you, you it's going to take you a long time to discover that and you, it's going to be hard to really nail that down in the scope so you you have to end up kind of charging quite a major premium to account for all of that and that's why you know a lot of the project-based agencies might charge you know tens of thousands for something that a you know an hourly based agency could get done in just a couple of weeks um so because they're having to account for for so much yeah um, and i think that's part of the why we started in cs2 actually i think both charlie and i had experience with okay we have too much to do so then our employers were like okay we'll use this agency and then we found that mm, like okay this might be useful for some other companies but for us where we were really looking for extra pairs of hands and and just an extension of our team because we couldn't even we couldn't get the headcount, um, which has always been a challenge for marketing ops, mm -hmm. um, is that we thought, you know, and even a strategic leader, you have to know that like a lot of marketing ops people report into someone who is like the head of marketing or head of demand gen, especially when we were in house and mm -hmm. that person never worked in marketing ops. So for them to give them any strategic advice on on what they're doing um, was really not there. And it, it's probably a big struggle right now too. And so I think things are evolving and, and luckily people have noticed the importance of marketing ops. And that's part of why we spread the education we do because we find that 
really marketing is marketing ops. Like you can't do one without the other. And it's just so important, especially when that group just is super strategic and really is partnering, uh, working cross-functionally with the team, then they can drive value. So anyway, that was a long explanation, but I mm-hmm. think that um, we, those agencies where it's like a big PO for like one thing, like a lead scoring project, that's where we found a little bit like, okay, well, what about beyond that? Or it was even, uh, even extra work to try and manage their work, check their work, it maybe wasn't to the standard that we wanted to do. So in the end, we kind of just felt a little bit like, oh, that kind of felt like it took more of my time than actually helped me. So mm-hmm. just knowing that in the back of our heads, we're like, how can we really scale? And, and you know, every, I think you'll have maturity curves. We're now, we're at a point in our careers where, you know, we're thinking about, okay, well, we want to really grow out our agency a bit more, but we don't want to be so tied to just like, this hourly rate sometimes and, and, and in a different way. But, um, and so there is benefit to doing the projects like that. And I think, but it, there is also benefit to being kind of like that fractional marketing mm-hmm. ops resource for them where really they can tap you for a lot of things and be nimble. Mm-hmm. It simplifies the whole um, engagement, right? Like yeah. if you, with a project, there, there can be a lot of conflict when there is scope creep and mm-hmm. uh, you know, the agency is trying to make that project profitable, the, the client's trying to get what they need. And a lot of times the project can end up being quite kind of cookie cutter and, and standardized. And um, mm-hmm. whereas like, if you're able to say, okay, I think this is, this is about what it's going to take. And I think in terms of time and hours and, and budget, but let's just have a kind of an ongoing relationship then you get that project and then other spin-off projects that come out of that, you get that too. And then that's why we've been working with our clients for so long because just month after month, they just constantly need mops work. Like so, it's, the work's never done. Yeah. But this is, I think this is something that's super mysterious to, to a lot of people. And it certainly is still somewhat mysterious to me. Like a lot of, a lot of times uh, people have a fear about going to become a consultant because they're afraid that they might not find the project or they may run out of clients or something. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why this idea of a, of a retainer, long-term retainer is so alluring, but also so, um, um, you know, seen as kind of something that that's maybe harder to get uh, than a, than a smaller project. And to your point, right. it has really beneficial to both the consultant because you kind of have steady amount of work, but also to the client. Can you, can you sell the idea of the retainer? Like you've been working with this client for five years, like surely by now they could have hired somebody and yeah. <laughs> like built out a team yeah. internally and probably saved a ton of money. Cause these retainers like, okay, there is a trade-off between, you know, like one-off consulting hourly rate, and that could be very high, you know, because you're going to bother the consultant on your time and you're going to say, get on the call with me for, you know, $250, $300 an hour. That's not uncommon. But if you say retainer, there's a bit of a trade-off. Okay, hourly rate comes down slightly, but it, you have consistent work block, big blocks per month, and that's what you're buying. And, um, but it's still... I would, I would think a lot more than just hiring somebody outright. And if this, if this is not a temporary state, I can understand if the company's like restructuring or if they're not sure if this is a full-time resource, but I've mm-hmm. met companies that oh, year over year just have agency relationships and they just like, 
the the person who actually works at the company just manages a bunch of agencies that do all sorts yeah. of work instead of managing a team. So I like, yeah. why would a company ever do that? Well, well, to answer one of the questions kind of at the beginning there, we didn't start with retainer. We started with literally just a one-page contract that said, this is our hourly rate. Whatever you want in a month, we'll bill. Whatever you, if you don't need us in that month, then you don't get a bill. Um, but we bill at the end of the month. That's how we got our initial clients. And then we, I think to be able to get a retainer or kind of a fixed cost arrangement, you need to have trust or you kind of need to have a little bit of um, reputation. their reputation or something yeah. that they know what they're going to get. Because to sell a retainer, to maybe someone who doesn't know who you are, it's a little bit more of a risk. <laughs> but then I think my opinion is, and I, we see this a lot for our clients, right? They do hire, like we help our clients hire. I, I actually interviewed someone today for one of my clients and that we're, we're just an extension of their team. And if they hire other people, then they, yes, part of our job might go to that person, but there's still a layer of strategy, probably still some execution that needs to be done. Training, um, getting them onboarded. Exactly. And yeah, that's a great point because a lot of times, you know, MOPS retention is really difficult, right? Most people are staying in their job for like a one or two years. So we've had multiple clients where we've trained the new person, they've left. We've been the cover while that person, while they're trying to hire again for a few months, we train the next person then they leave and then we're their cover. So I think there's that, but then also from a finance point of view for these companies, like yes, the hourly rate that agencies like ours are charging, um, you know, it can add up when you're doing a lot of work, but also, you know, hiring a MOPS person in house isn't, isn't cheap either. And there they have to pay benefits and other taxes and other fees on top of that. Whereas for us, it's just that hourly rate, which generally is variable. So because there's a retainer, which is the minimum, um, they, they, it's less of a risk to them because if they do need to cut back, they just cut back on agency time. They don't have to like, let a team member go. Mm -hmm. So our clients actually find it's a lot easier to have that agency support than get headcount for for some of those reasons, I think. And I think it's a known skill set as well. I think we, you know, anyone who's hired for these roles, I think it's really tough to get a standard of like a skill set. Yes, people have certifications and, and all that, but like that's really just a technical like savviness and we like it's pretty clear that those are pretty easy to just like study for and then pass. Like there's no, it's, it's like the SATs, like that doesn't mean that person's going to excel at a job someday. Mm-hmm. So I think for, for them, they know what our background is. They know we have experience. They know we have exposure to everything. And I think sometimes when you hire, like when you hire somebody, it is a risk. You might get a really good person and you can try and get that sense in the interview process. But for them, having this other resource that you know has like a real true breadth of experience, but also expertise. If anything, that is the true value there because you, yes, you can try and hire a bunch of people, but then you might have to hire three people with this, that totals the experience that like an agency would have like ours. Right. And like, because a person working for an agency, we, we, someone in house, right. They'll, they'll go in house and maybe they've worked for two companies. They've, they've basically, like the most they would have done some projects that agencies are doing every day is like they would have done it twice. Whereas someone from an agency, we've done that project, you know, dozens of times. So a lot of what the client is asking for and the value they're getting is that depth of experience and the fact that they can ask us like, what are other companies 
doing. Yeah. Like, and we can say like live, okay, well, I had this conversation with like 10 of my other clients in the last couple of weeks. This is kind of what I think is the best way to go about this. Where someone in-house, yes, they can go. There's, the communities have actually been great recently, like over the last couple of years that have grown, like the, the Slack communities, because you can kind of get that insight but to be able to have that person on hand, like we're, we're, we have like shared Slack channels with our clients. They can call us, they can message us. We're having weekly calls with them. And just to be able to tap into that whenever they need it, it, it actually is a lot of value to them. And then they get all of the execution work to help them because there's just so much work to be done in marketing operations these days. I really love their, your point about if you're in an in-house role, even if you're at that company for three or five or six years, which is really unheard of in, in MOPS, but you're going to do your um, email subscription center maybe one time. Maybe you'll refresh mm-hmm. it. You know, you'll build nurture one time. You'll do scoring, and you might do refreshes. But you're in that same structure. And you know, my exposure of getting into multiple instances of Marketo, either through um, I was doing like education and training and walking in and seeing different people build and building a GDPR compliance four or five times in six months yep. really um, does add a ton of value. And it makes yeah, you feel so much more confidence. Yeah. yeah. So what sure. about not the, the five-year clients, but what about difficult clients? Uh, you know, the scope creep, or they're just, you know, either maybe using too much time out of your resources. And have you ever had to fire a client? Or what do you advise to your your employees or your junior people of how to deal with those tough conversations? Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll both take this one. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so this is something, and I, I think the thing that we're gonna talk about a lot here is a lot of it will take time to build the confidence to do something mm-hmm. and I think firing or knowing when to not serve a customer is um, a learning experience that, that takes confidence is it's kind of like your own personal boundaries like it's kind of going through that exercise and I think for us that that has always been a tricky thing even for us, even up until recently, I think we're, we've been almost like, well, we're going to do well by the customer first, you know, customer first, customer first. And that is really good, but it's um, for the customer. (laughs) And so you do need to have a balance of thinking about yourself and the business as well. And so some of that is understanding. We've never really had like difficult clients. like Yeah. And scope creep because of our model we don't really, the, if there is scope creep, they are still, they're having to pay more for it because it's, you know, a variable price each yeah. month based on the hours. But I think for us, it's been understanding where maybe we're not providing value anymore because there's like little work or the work that we're doing is really like, could actually just be handled by someone in house. And, um, and so over time, that was a reason why we even decided, okay, we want retainers because we noticed if we have a certain level of work per month from a client, that's where we're really providing value. And so we did have to have those tough conversations with some of our clients say, Hey, you know, you need to either move over to this model or you're not going to work with us anymore. Um, and, and that, can be hard, especially if they've been a client for a while. But in the end, I think it, you do need to be, think about the customer, but also think about what's going to be best for you. And, and that helps you scale. Like we're just deciding, okay, we need that because if we're going to hire someone, we need to know we have enough work to hire. We need that confidence knowing that we have this amount of work to actually feed the team. Yeah. And the goal isn't always more and more clients, right? It's it's better clients and, yeah, I think there's there's a, you're always going to have kind of different 
so along the journey with the client there's always going to be some ups and downs in terms of like how much they need you like kind of what we mentioned with with when they hire but um i think for us we haven't had like difficult clients where it's been you know an angry divorce type thing um of course there's been you know things we've had to deal with but it's been more around like i'm sorry you just have like these days you have you can't you're not meeting our minimum that we don't feel like we can really do much we can create much value for you um given like your budget constraints right now or the amount of work that you're able to send us so let's just cut ways because i I kind of always think about it like a you know computer memory you know we've got x amount of clients and even if you're not working on that client that day you're still having to remember like all of the intricacies in their marketo instance like like what reporting they're looking for and sales like all that their whole stack and everything so that takes energy out of you and if you're not really getting the return on that energy you you'd be better placed to put it into your other clients because and cut that relationship for now and you can give them the option to increase and meet your minimum but if they're not able to meet that then it's better to just double down on the clients that where you're really able to provide value because it's more satisfying for you it's more satisfying for the client and it's going to be you know, more rewarding for everyone yeah and i think one other thing that i think is super useful to do is to have the client know what to expect so if you're working on a weekend and answering emails on a weekend that client is maybe going to expect you to answer on a weekend now, you know? So yes. um, it's the same thing for people in house. So people are in house. Cause we, we've always had that when we worked in houses, like, Oh yeah, I need this CMO, uh, you know, reporting um, on Sundays. So like you need to do it on Saturday. And that's part of the reason why I was like, ugh, like, <laughs> no, I don't want to do that anymore. And I want to enjoy my life. And we have a daughter now. And, like I, you know, it's like I want to, and so set that expectations. And and I think some agencies, you know, are like we're around the clock and all that. But think about what you really want and set those expectations up front. Set your SLAs up front as much as you can, and that'll really help prevent you from getting those difficult situations where you are, you know, working on a Saturday or a Sunday just to get something out mm-hmm. for a client. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's key. Like being honest and being upfront, that's usually how you prevent problems down the line. Absolutely yeah. right. The other thing that really struck, a couple of things from this conversation that um, uh, I took away. One is that you are at seven people and you've been kind of going at it for five years. Sometimes what I hear completely, you know, um, undeservedly from people who are thinking about going to consulting or thinking about becoming independent is they say, ah, no, I don't want to do an agency. I don't want to manage a hundred people. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you don't have anything right now. Do you know what I mean? You're an employee and your dream immediately goes to, oh, I'm an employee of a hundred people agency. I'm going to be so stressed out. And like, first of all, like, you'd be so lucky if that happened to you. (laughs) And second of all, um, like you don't have to, there is a level of control that I hear that you, you kind of have, you know, in terms of your, your schedule and being able to set boundaries and then being able to dictate, like you can have an agency that's not big. You can just have a small agency, like a small closely knit team that works together consistently year after year. That is such an awesome model. And I think a lot of people don't think about that. We tend to, because you don't really know, you know, how many agencies like that do you know? Like a lot of the flashier agencies are big, you know, 100 
people shops that you may have heard of, you know, and you've also mm-hmm. heard of getting a job, <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. this like medium sized, smaller agencies. There are so many of them and so many of them have like amazing people working and uh, really high satisfaction of life and getting paid really well. So thank you so much for sharing what it's like in that model. And, and I can also hear like so much passion in your voice for your clients. That is, uh, that's so, um, that's so wonderful uh, to hear as well. And, and you've given so many great tips and uh, so much great advice. Thanks again for taking the time to chat with us. You're very welcome. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah. And thank you for listening to this episode of SMTC Podcast. If you like this episode, please rate us and leave us a review. We will read the reviews and make this podcast better. Um, The ratings also make it easier for other people to discover it. Also, be sure to subscribe. And if you haven't already, join the SMTC by going to joinsmtc.com and join as a member. It's free. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye-bye.